Alrighty, everyone. It's Monday morning. Another episode of Monday Madness. Tavis Killian here. June 22nd. And it was a pretty good weekend. I know, recording on Monday, sometimes I've got weekend stories. But this past weekend, I went out to Buena Vista for a buddy's birthday party. Did a little camping. Had a lot of fun. And I gotta say, it was, it was good to see people again. Because uh, during this whole lockdown, not seeing a whole lot of my friends. Not seeing a whole lot of my family members. But it seems like more people are growing less and less wary. I saw fewer masks. I saw plenty of gatherings. And I don't know. It's strange to see what issues become serious to people based, well, almost primarily on what the media chooses to cover. At this point, I'll probably continue to wear my mask whenever I go to the grocery store as not to cause problems and keep other people feeling fine and safe, even if I'm not too worried. But yeah, I am I'm ready for things to go back to how it was before. If we approach that, or who knows, maybe we'll redefine normal into the new normal like they say. But that's enough blabbering from me. And I think it is about time we get into the news. If you've been following the Rare Petro podcast, especially the Basin Breakdown, you may be familiar with the idea to pay people to start plugging and abandoning wells. We've been speaking in the context of Pennsylvania, and in that sense it's new, but two years ago, Ohio lawmakers did vote to double the amount of state funding dedicated to plugging potentially dangerous oil and gas wells. This law required the State Department of Natural Resources Oil and Gas Division create 30% of the money collected in statewide severance tax to fixing these orphan wells, which are typically unplugged wells whose owners cannot be identified for, well, a number of reasons, lots of reasons to abandon a well. Despite the cash infusion, though, the state agency in its first year was able to spend about two-thirds of the money, well, $18 million of a little more than $26 million. It wasn't for lack of trying, said Eric Vandell, the chief of the oil and gas division, the state simply had a hard time getting the limited number of qualified contractors in Ohio to bid on the jobs. In this sense, Ohio's experience could be a cautionary tale as Congress considers using federal stimulus funds to plug defunct aging oil and gas wells around the country. The idea is being promoted by Democrats and environmental groups as a way to provide jobs for oil field workers during the economic slump and also cut back on the pollution associated with aging wells. Last week, two senators from California wrote a letter to the Bureau of Land Management saying, in the face of economic headwinds for the oil industry, the number of orphan wells can only be expected to grow, which will be detrimental to workers, the environment, and already budget-constrained states. Now, this does make sense. I mean, it is pretty romantic in the idea that we could pay people using uh, state funds, but the state funds to support these oil workers to plug these wells are not necessarily there. We're looking at North Dakota, Oklahoma, a lot of states that tax the production of oil and gas pretty heavily, will be lacking the funds because the oil and gas is not being produced. That's why these people are unemployed in the first place. So maybe this is a sort of a roundabout decision, but if the budget is already that tight, perhaps a different solution should be searched. I'm not exactly sure what, and I hate to say that as in, oh, this is wrong and not propose anything else. But we'll have to keep an eye out because orphan wells are becoming a hotter and a hotter topic as we move on. Now, Parsley Energy, we've got some news on them. They achieved a 22% gain in efficiency in the most recent quarterly review after fully digitizing its completion operations. In the past, they have decided to target efficiency as a priority, and I think they've been working on it for about half a decade now. The efficiency improvement followed the integration of a, another company, Cold Technology Incorporated, their SmartPad completions operation system. 
the smart pad technology is pretty nifty because it makes use of a whole bunch of different sensors and from valve positioning to pressure monitoring and a bunch of field data collection systems and proprietary software to provide what cold bore technology calls ultra high resolution, high fracturing data with analytics. Now, data analytics, of course, is a huge buzzword in the industry, but here we can see they have completely destroyed an old benchmark. Non-productive time is down and they are now 22% more efficient. This means you can just get more work done faster. Rather than having someone pour over data and dig through boxes, you can make it all pretty readily available right there and keep it historically in one location and an easy to search archive that pretty much anyone can use. These data systems are proving to be a highly effective tool in dealing with non-productive time and improving efficiency. And I think it's only a matter of time until we see more and more people in the industry adopt this, especially if you're getting huge efficiency margins like this. A lot of people go against the new and try to stick with the norm because, well, it has worked in the past and digging through dusty files eventually got them the answer, but it's time for people to change. Um, Jeffrey can actually, we've got an interview coming out with him. He is a technology expert in the industry and he has a word for that. He calls them hedgehogs, people who at the sight of change immediately curl up and shy away from it but i don't want to spoil too much of it we'll try to have that industry leader spotlight episode out soon so make sure you are subscribed to rare petro's content i guess at this point i realize i forgot to mention oil prices and the rig count right now oil prices are about forty dollars and 39 cents and the rig count is about two dollars and 66 cents which is down 701 rigs from one year ago today now that rig statistic is kind of kind of terrifying when you look at it but it looks like a lot of people are speculating that that $40 price point could be the new norm and improve looking into the future. Thankfully, the demand for oil seems to be returning. Countries like China are now in full swing, but there are people like Spain and Italy that are still struggling to get back on their feet as they were hit pretty heavily, pretty significantly. But now, there's no way that the demand is down as much as it was. I mean, before it was estimated it could have been down up to 30%, now it's estimated it lies around 10 to 15 percent and this is good there have been a few weeks with decreased drawdowns you know we're using more oil than we're producing using more oil than we're storing and that's good but that's not been the case every week even though oil production in the u.s has decreased significantly by almost three million barrels per day in the united states alone there's still plenty of oil in storage but this is a step in the right direction Giovanni Serio is the chief economist at Vitol Group, which is the world's largest independent oil trader. He says, our short-term tracking of demand confirms a healthy recovery from the lows of April. And that short-term recovery suggests that oil demand is rising by about 1.4 million barrels a day every week in the month of June alone. That is roughly equivalent to adding the whole consumption of the UK onto the market weekly, which is fantastic. If that trend does continue, we would be back hypothetically, to pre-coronavirus consumption rates by the end of summer. While that's all fine and dandy, you know what I'm going to harp on next. It's something that I've talked about a lot in the past few months. The storage. I mean, I've already mentioned it before. Storage is still pretty full, with slight drawdown and still lots of building in the reserves, depending on the week. So, hopefully, that trend continues. We get through the summer, we eat through some of those reserves, and things are, I want to say, back to normal but prices are improved and a bit steady. Unfortunately, that oversimplifies the effects of the coronavirus right now. The biggest thing that people seem to be concerned about internationally is a second wave. 
China had to take some pretty drastic measures this week to avoid a second wave taking hold of Beijing. And who knows whether or not what they're reporting is accurate or truthful, but even so, lots of countries, well, I, I was going to say U.S. included, but <laughs> like I mentioned at the beginning, I think uh, we're, we're probably caring less and less about it. Lots of countries are worried about a second wave. Now, what this means, worst case scenario, is that countries in an attempt to deal with the second wave and end it at the second wave would, again, lock down their borders, decrease a lot of their production and output, suffer GDP-wise, and handle it in what you know I think is about the worst way possible in order to try and beat coronavirus. So hopefully that doesn't happen because we really don't want to see any more hits to demand as things are finally starting to look up, and we all hope that they remain there. Unfortunately for Canada, natural gas is not looking so hot, especially from the point of view of the United States. The U.S. imports of natural gas from Alberta to the western United States have dropped in recent months due to a higher natural gas spot prices at the Alberta Trading Hub than the U.S. Benchmark Henry Hub. It's possible that these price changes are coming hot off the heels of the news last week where it was mentioned that Congress was considering a bill that would allow projects to be okayed and green-lighted without Congress's approval. Not sure how environmentalists or the citizens of Canada feel about this. I've not really surveyed anything or read any polls. But it is entirely possible that that is the reason. Fortunately for the United States, that means we can spend less to import the gas from Canada and really burn some of our own stuff since it's a little bit cheaper in the spot price. The EIA is predicting that the U.S. will import significantly less gas from Canada for the rest of this year. Thanks to, you guessed it, COVID-19. Now, this is going to be pretty difficult for Canada because this will mean, of course, decreased revenue and likely less gas will need produced as the demand has diminished. But the EIA also predicts, thankfully, that the levels will return to near normal, if not improved levels by the end of next year. But that is about all the news I have for you today. Nothing crazy happening right now, which, you know, could be good. It's not necessarily quiet, but it is calm. And I don't see a lot of bad things happening right now. Of course, prices aren't exactly where they need to be, but it looks like, well, this downturn's shaping up. So stay with me as we navigate this downturn together. It's my first one. I don't know how many you've been through personally, but I gotta say, it's definitely been interesting, and I've learned a whole lot throughout the process. So, until I see you next time, this is Tavis. Take care, everyone.